Welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 882. On the business front, I think it would be, if you're going to do anything in business, always stick to something where you know a reasonable part of the equation. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. I'm revved up and so excited to introduce today's very special guest calling in from across the pond in the United Kingdom, Tim Llewellyn. Hey, Tim, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? I'm buckled up and ready and looking forward to it. All right. Tim Llewellyn lives in Sussex, England and runs internationalclassiccarinformer.com, a new global intellectually searchable online database where people will find all sorts of goods and services for their pre-1980 automobiles. He grew up with an automotive enthusiast father who enjoyed working on old cars and old race cars, including Bentleys, Rolls, Sunbeam, Austin, and even a 250F GP Maserati, and many others. Tim's first car was a 1936 British Salmson. I hope we learn a little bit more about that interesting vehicle that he started to restore when he was only nine years old. Today, Tim's goal is to be the world's best, most comprehensive, and easy-to-use database for professionals and amateurs by helping them source their automotive parts and needs. ClassicCarInformer.com is a cost-effective forum for classic car businesses helping them promote their services. So, Tim, I've told our listeners just a tiny bit about you. Would you take a brief moment share a little bit more about your business and an obvious passion for automobiles? Well, let's let's start where it all started for me. I grew up. I, I think I was blessed. I grew up in a motoring family. My my father started collecting cars and racing back in the early 1950s. So I grew up spending plenty of my time in the garage and going out to all the race meetings that I could and things like that and, and learnt. Yeah, really as a hobbyist, how to do all the car maintenance and restoration really from, from father. And, uh, and he started picking all, up all his cars, you know, at the time when many of them were going for scrap in the early days. And then in terms of when they were becoming collectible, I suppose he was in on the, on the, on the ground floor, so to speak. And the business, well, I, I, I spent 25 years in construction in a family business, but it kept, became apparent 15 years ago that that was never going to move on another generation. And we were approached and the, uh, and the business went on to new owners. So here in, in my years of what I probably ought to refer to as semi-retirement, the, 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 uh, the uh, database business came about yeah, entirely through, through frustration with me trying to find bits and pieces uh, for my own car collection. And also, uh, I suppose I was put up to it by my wife because she kept answering the phone to various friends of mine going, where do I get one of these? Who do I go to see to get that? Where yes. do I get the other done? Um, and, and for certain of the old cars and the Bentleys and things like that, I, I, I know a good deal about where to go, what to do, where to go and get stuff. But um, what we found was that actually the Internet is a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful thing. And there is a mass of information on there and a mass of contacts on there. But what you won't find on there is the uh, the little businesses, excellent little businesses that don't have websites. 
you don't have this to the same extent in the United States, but over here, um, you've got to bear in mind, we're very close to France, Italy, Germany, Spain, Portugal. They all speak different languages. All the component names of the bits and pieces you're looking for or all the services you're seeking, you know, they call it something completely different. And while there are databases out there, none of them seem to be dealing very well with the, the language issue. But the language issue also... I hadn't realized this till I got into doing this database. There are language issues between between America and the UK. Uh, what you call an antenna, we call an aerial. What you call a spindle, we call a stub axle. Yep. You, spell, you spell tires differently to us. There are so many things. Um, and whilst the, whilst the Internet is brilliant, it will only cope with what you give it. So if you're spelling something one way, it won't search different spellings or different terminologies for you. An example, if you're an American Alfa Romeo owner and you're, you're looking for front spindles for your car and you're trying to look over in Europe, we don't call them front spindles. We call them stub axles. So you need to, you need to search as stub axles. And in, and in Italy, they call them something completely different. I mean, what, I'd have to go and look up what they call them over there. <laughs> yes, yes. The other problem that really fights against us, um, be it us searching over at your side, which is where I have problems with my Corvette, and similarly for your people, maybe with MGs and things like that, searching over here the search engines have a geographic algorithm where they give preference to local results mm. so you'll find you'll find your, your page full of answers full of absolute rubbish that you weren't looking for because it happened to be local i see in, in preference to what you're really searching for because if you know for me if i'm searching from the uk searching in california i was getting results down on the south coast of the uk instead I see. which is, isn't isn't very helpful right right exactly so, so that that's how all that came about well, this is very, very cool, and certainly anything that helps us enthusiasts find the parts and services and things we need for our cars is going to be great. And I know in our pre-show chat, you're also a vintage racer, right? Yes, I'm, I'm a fairly seasoned one these days, yes, I have to say. Yes, I think I, so. <laughs> I... Uh, as soon as I was 17, I started racing, which is the earliest in those days you were allowed to in the UK, and I, I haven't missed a season yet. So, wow! Uh, this this year was my 41st 41st season on the trot. Uh yeah, seasoned would be uh, an, an understatement, I think, as far as what you do. And I know that you mentioned one of your, if not your favorite track, which you spent some time at just a few weeks ago, Spa, right? Our spa is wonderful. There is a bit of everything there. It's the most fantastic circuit to drive. But it's also, if ever you get the chance to go there as a spectator, because the whole thing's set on a hillside in a bowl in a valley, you can not only watch what's going past in front of you under your nose, but you can see what's going on up the other side of the valley as the as the track returns. Oh, yeah. It, it is the views and the and what you get to see is absolutely stunning there. And what are you driving these days? Well, we're looking forward to getting my racing Bentley back together for next year because finally I've managed to get some tires for it because the rear tires have been out of production for five years. So that's kept that one off the road a bit. Mm. Um, but mainly the last few years we've been racing a J2 Cadillac engine J2 Allard and my my son's four and a half litre Bentley that he's just finished restoration of. Uh, so they, they've, they've been this year's campaigners. Brilliant, brilliant. Well, as we continue on this very interesting journey that is your life, I always like to start by asking my guests for a success quote or a mantra, something that stands out for you, has great meaning. So, Tim, take the wheel. Oh, um... Actually, this is this is one that I've that I've pinched off one of my one of my racing friends who ra he actually races a, a an American Curtis. 
Oh, and cool. he's uh, he's he's one of he's one of London's top hedge fund man managers. And we were we were chatting the other day, and he and he said, oh, he said, um, he said, yes, I have a I have a simple attitude in life. I said, what's that then? He said, all I ever wanted in life was an unfair advantage. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's brilliant. I haven't heard yeah. that one. I I may take that on. <laughs> well, I think it sums it up because you know everybody everybody spends their life talking about level playing fields, and the one thing you've got to get used to is life does not have a level playing field. Oh yeah. So if you can be at the top end of it and have an unfair advantage over those around you, by God, that's the right place to be. <laughs> I think so. I think so. Oh, okay. that was a great one. Well, let's go back in time. I, I shared a little bit of this. Uh, and you did as well in your intro about your early childhood years. Is there a story that instigated your passion for cars? Was there a pivotal moment you can remember that you realized, you know what, like my dad, I'm going to follow in his footsteps and be a car guy? I think the answer is no, because I can't remember being that young. It has, it has <laughs> always, it has always been in there, you know, right from, right from day one. I suppose, you know, sitting in the back of parents' car with the toy steering wheel pretending to drive as we're going down the road or, or whatever. It, it has just always, I, I guess it's in the genes. It's yeah. always been there. And I, in, in terms of actually learning to drive, I suppose I, I, I started on a go-kart in the garden when I was about six or seven. Then I was when I was about eight, nine, or ten. I had a little old pre-war Morris Eight. I used to drive around one of the company's property, properties. So I, that's how I learned to double D clutch and drive a proper car for the first time. And it just sort of went from there, really. No kidding. Yeah, it went from there. That's for sure. It's in the blood. Let's take a look at some of the roads you've driven down and talk about a big challenge or even a big failure that you faced along the way. These are things that we encounter in business and life. But more importantly, it's how we overcome these situations and what they teach us. So kind of take us to one of yours, walk us down that lane and uh, tell us how that experience helped you gain even more momentum as you moved forward. I think in terms of the most heart-searching challenge, it would have been 15 years ago when we came to sell the family construction business. Mm. I mean, this was a this was a, a big business in UK terms. We were one of the largest privately owned contractors. The business had been going for over 100 years. But it was obviously apparent, well, one, the industry had changed in its character from when I joined it, and it was not something I would have, you know, particularly encourage my children to have gone into but my cousin she she and I ran the business between us in the in our latter days she had two daughters I had two daughters and a son the generation gaps now I think are wider than they perhaps used to be in earlier generations and if any of the next generation had wanted to go into it we would have been having to work well beyond where we were useful to the businesses in order to tide things over till the next generation have enough experience to take over. Ah, I see. And then we were, uh, you know, we would have had two options. One, one floating the business and going public and putting the shares in the stock market or two selling. And it's always better to sell when you've got a willing buyer. And we were approached by another business that was on a massive expansion program at the time, but they were a very good fit against our business. But when you go through all this, I mean, we we had a maximum in my time about 1,800 employees, and at the time when I sold, probably about 800, because wow. the industry had gone very much from having directly employed people to having subcontractors doing all the various trades. Mm -hmm. But you still have... If you're a responsible employer, you still have a, a phenomenal allegiance to the people that work for you. And we had 
in our latter years, we used to we used to hold a, a dinner for all those that had done 25 years service every year. And in, there were 25 directors in the business of whom at least 20 had done 25 years service. And we were about 130 people each year when we sat down to eat. Oh, my gosh. That's incredible. It is very unusual these days. But when you've had that sort of dedication to your business from your staff, you are... You want to be so careful when you then sell the business on that you're making sure that, you know, that the next owner of the business is obliged to look after them in some way, almost as well as you have. So absolutely tying things up so nobody can muck around with the pension funds and things like that. It's tricky. It is really tricky. It is really heart searching. And you have to feel that you're doing the right thing for them as well as trying to do something that's right for you and the family and the shareholders. Yes. Well, your uh, workers are very fortunate to have a business owner like you and your cousin that think that way, because these days it seems like many companies do not think that way. They're thinking very selfishly, and it's just how much money can I walk away with? And good luck, guys. See, it's been a fun time, and they go on and do their thing. So I can see how that would be very challenging. But, of course, that led to getting involved in your passion with what you're doing today. And we're going to learn a little bit more about that business in a few moments. But I want to shift gears a little bit here and talk about a career aha moment. Maybe I just segued into answering that question. It's a time when I like to say those headlights kind of illuminate a way for a new direction that you had. So tell us about your aha moment. Well, after selling after selling the construction business, I was lucky that that funded a, a, a bit of an expansion in the in my own collection of cars and mm-hmm. things. And then between my wife and I, we started it. We've got a small import and distribution business. But the aha moment to me really was you know was the final last straw of trying to find. I've been trying to find somebody to make cycle wings for a vintage Bentley, and I'm searching on the internet and just coming up with absolutely nothing. And then you're then you're phoning around, phoning around various friends who are who are in the business, and you go, "Where can I get this done?" And they say, "Well, you could go to so and so, but he's got an eighteen month waiting list at the moment." Yeah. And, and then you can get, you can go to so and so, but he's retiring in two in in two months' time. And then it was this geographic thing. I was actually looking for competition drive shafts for my Corvette. It was a the Corvette's just gone. It was a, a 1965 race car. It had been a race car since the early 70s. I knew the drive shafts were getting tired, and I um, I knew that you could get uprated, decent competition ones off the shelf. Mm-hmm. So there I am searching away on the internet. You know, Corvette C2 drive shaft racing competition, and I knew they were available in con- in in California. So I put you know into the search string. You put San Francisco, San Diego, Los Angeles, California. Hit search, and what did it come back with? You know, the top the top couple of adverts that were absolute rubbish that nothing nobody wanted to look at. And the next ones were drive shafts for Austin Allegro's <laughs> in Worthing, which is a town on the south coast in the UK. Yeah, <laughs> and I looked at this and I thought, this is such a load of rubbish. Yeah, you know, somebody really needs to get to grip with this, mm-hmm. grips with this, and give us something where we can actually go and find what we're looking for. And you know, our database is turning into something that seems to be better than anything else in terms of finding what you're looking for. It will never be perfect, but at least with the answers, you know, everything that you're looking for is to do with old cars and nothing else. It, it, there was another great one. I was trying to find um, for justification for the for my car's FIA papers for racing in Europe. I was trying to find period competition pictures 
of a Corvette. So I, I go and I'm in, in, in an images search function on the internet. And when you put in Corvette, what do you get? You get m- most of what you get is Second World War warships. <laughs> Interesting. Yes. <laughs> because, you know, <laughs> they share the same name. Yeah. Yeah. Um, exactly. It, it's frustrating. It is really frustrating. And the number of people that have come onto the database and when you talk to them, they say to you, God, they say that the hours and hours and hours you spend on fruitless searches. Mm-hmm. I think one of the loveliest people that we've got on there, I've been restoring for my uh, for my it'll be for my nephew one of the earliest three liter Bentleys. It's Bentley chassis number fifteen, engine number sixteen, and wow. these really early cars. They had a leather belt driven speedometer driven off the propeller shaft, mm-hmm. and I was trying to get one of these proper leather belts. And I I phoned around you know, two or three of the people in the UK who do restorations on similar age cars, and it turns out you know there were various bodges being used and you know, it wasn't the right thing. And I hunted and hunted and hunted. And eventually, after about three or four hours searching, I found a lovely little chap just north of Chicago who just does leather drive belts. You sent him the dimensions. They arrive in the post a week later, at sort of $32 for a made-to-measure drive bolt for it. And it's finding finding little people like that that can supply you yeah. with the right thing that make it makes the whole thing worthwhile. Oh yeah! Wow. <laughs> but but the trouble is at the moment, you know, until the until the database is 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 you know fully populated and you know and as people are gradually coming on, you can spend hours looking for these people. Otherwise, sure. Well, it's it's absolutely amazing. And yeah, you you said the word propeller, and of course over here we'd go propeller. There's no propellers in a car. What are you uh, talking about? So there's another example. Prop shaft. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah, exactly. Well. I would assume as you've uh, moved into this venture, you've had many proud moments as you've increased the business and grown the business. Is there one that really stands out for you that you'd share? Well, the way the way the business the way the business really works is as people are coming onto the business, we're we're lucky enough that that, that you know they split into two groups. Some some you get nothing from at all. Others will share you you know two or three two or three good contacts uh, to go to. And I went to I, it was literally just last week. I, I phoned up. Somebody who was a who was a, a referral, and I, and, I, and I phoned him up and said, "Yeah, I've been referred to you. Would you be happy to come onto our database?" He said, "Of course I would." He said, "I actually use your database already." Oh, that's cool. <laughs> yeah, I already found you. Which is, you know, which is which is really nice when you find they're already you know they're already using it, you know, searching themselves. Right. Oh, very cool. Brilliant. Well, let's have a little bit of fun. Let's go back in time, way back in time, and talk about your first really special car vehicle. The thing that really you went, man, I've been wanting this forever and forever and ever. I know you had lots of great cars and lots of great cars in the family, but is there one that stands out for you that you'd share a memory about? Oh, my little Samson was was great, but I only kept that for probably two years after I was driving because it was a bit fragile. I then had a four and a half liter Bentley that I bought that I bought in bits with the money from the Samson and, and kept that for about longer than anybody else has ever had the car it's a car called bluebell and she was she was a great car we did everything from racing and trialing which is where you drive up muddy hills and rallying and god knows what it but i think the um the one that 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 i get the greatest pleasure out of is a car that my father built up at the beginning of the 1960s which is a, a three liter bentley frame shortened up but with the eight liter engine in and that, I suppose, Dad got, uh, 
I had a very, very blessed yeah, youth. There's plenty of plenty of other motoring families I know where they where the dads kept driving the cars and never let their kids drive them. Mm-hmm. Dad got me. Dad got me driving this one when I was about 19. <laughs> nice. I, I started racing it, and it is just such fun. And in terms of, I suppose, if you're talking about memorable moments with that car it would have been when i was probably 20 or 21 my my the closest competition was a, a lovely guy called ron footit who had a little very very small very very light chain driven car uh, if you know what a fraser nash is it was a gn which is very very similar to a fraser nash yeah you have a, a chain for for each of your four gears anyway everybody said if it was wet ron was unbeatable and we went up to Donington one day and it was raining and I thought, well, yeah, at least if I can if I can give him a good chase round, you know, it won't it won't be a bad thing. And I managed to get past him. <laughs> nice. And uh and he didn't get back past again. And the funny thing is every, everybody at the end at the end of that race said, Well, yeah, it was a fluke, it'll never happen again. And then we were at Silverstone the following month and it absolutely poured and we managed to do it again. And nice. yeah, that was one of those truly memorable moments with that car. I think so. It's just adorable to drive and it's it's it behaves so well. It, it, you can you can really have fun with it. Adorable to drive. That's something I've not heard. That's very nice. I like that. <laughs> very cool. Well, how about seller's remorse? We all have those cars that we let go for one reason or another. At the time, it seems like it makes sense. But later on, we get that little tear in our eye. Is there one of those stories in your life? Not so much a seller's remorse. And, and, and this is this is really a, a family thing. I'm not, I'm not great at selling cars. I'm great at buying them. But they seem to end up with more and more sitting in the garage. Um, I think... The regret in terms of in terms of not buying years ago, Dad, uh, Dad in the early eighties decided to sell his two fifty F Maserati. Uh, so they are one of the most beautiful, iconic uh, Italian Grand Prix cars of the of oh, the fifties. Yes. yes, absolutely stunning car. But as as Dad said, you know, the trouble with the single seaters is they're a bit antisocial. It's a bit of a selfish <laughs> thing to have. <laughs> So it went, and it was a. Uh, in those days, this would have been early eighties. They were worth about thirty thousand pounds, which was quite a lot of money then. And it was a toss-up whether we bought. Uh, both cars belonged to friends. Mm-hmm. It was a toss-up whether we bought a ni- the nineteen o two racing Paris Vienna Moors. Now, if you can imagine this, you're talking about four cylinders, nine odd liters in a wooden chassis where you sit on an armchair up in the breeze and it <laughs> wow. will do it will do a good 70 mile an hour it just won't stop and it was a toss up between that on one hand and on the other hand we had a friend that was selling a DBR1 Aston Martin uh, 1958 Mans sports racer and the Aston's a stunning car I actually got to drive that when it belonged to the to, to the owner at the time but at the time there was nothing you could do with the Aston, really, other than stick it in your garage, look at it, and polish it. Mm-hmm. It was a glorious car. But here we are, a few years later, some some you know, racing events came up for the car, and, it, and they became usable again, and they were highly, highly, highly collectible. And I think one just sold at, um, at Pebble Beach for, I think, it was it 22 million? 
dollars. <laughs> just a few quid, was, yeah, just a few, yeah, just, a, just a few quid, <laughs> and that was and that was only you know okay, yes, there's a bit of maintenance to do, a bit of restoration to do, but that's not big beer in 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 that game, and that's yeah. so that's gone from that's gone from from thirty thousand pounds to what must be. Uh, you know, 19, 20 million these days, or 18 million. Yeah, wow. In not so many years. It was certainly beat inflation. A little bit, yeah. And the other <laughs> thing is, it was, the Moors was great fun to drive, but the Aston was delightful to drive. I actually, the owner of that car burnt the clutch out on it, and he, and he, and I was going out with his daughter at the time, and we came to an agreement that I would, I would mend the clutch on the car if I could then use it to do Brighton Speed Trials, which is a local sprint. Mm hmm. And then I couldn't do the sprint because I broke my arm that year. Oh. And uh, dear Roger, he said, he said, well, don't worry. He said, I'll put you on my insurance. Drive it back. And I live in Sussex, due south of London. And he lived just outside Bath, which is well west of London, just before you get to Wales. So I had, you know, aged, where was it? Well, I was 21 then. I uh, I drove this DBR1 Aston all the way back up to Bath. Oh, my gosh. Well, uh, in the early hours of one morning, and a uh, glorious car to drive. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I think so. I think so. As I say, so. spoiled, spoiled childhood. <laughs> yes, you were a little spoiled, weren't you? Oh, Absolutely. my gosh. Oh, my gosh. What fun. Well, let's talk about what's going on today with you and what you're working on that has you really excited and fired up these days. Oh, um... In here, here, sitting sitting in the office. Well, I'm I'm, I'm very lucky. I, I work I work from home. It's one of the benefits of this sort of a, of an internet business is you yep, can do that. I can do it too. Um, yep. There's the great bit about building this database. I'm getting such a buzz out of doing that. It is, it, it's wonderful, and seeing it grow and grow into different areas, and then you get weird and wonderful extra categories that you can add for things that you that you, you know, didn't necessarily have in there before. I mean, one that came on recently. Um, there's a company down in Italy that came on and the guy said, no, he said, I don't reupholster cars. He said, and I do, I do a bit of repairs, but what I really specialize in is restoration of original interiors. Mm, interesting. And I just thought, you know, that's different to, to, do, to doing just repair work and things. That's, you know. Yeah. And actually, I think it's something that will be a growing and growing market for where people want to, to absolutely preserve that original interior. As oh, much yeah. As they oh, yeah. Rather than redoing it. So yeah, there's plenty of time and energy and enthusiasm going into into developing that. Also at home, we we are we indulge in a fair bit of madness because I have a <laughs> I, I have a, a the son a son who races the cars with me and spends time in the garage with me, a daughter who has a, a regular day job and uh, and is then a, a, a three day event rider in her in her spare time. My eldest daughter is a, a professional three-day event rider who regularly is on British teams. So we were actually over at the Plains um, just outside Washington where she was on the, the British Nations Cup team earlier this year. And she was over competing at Bukalo in, in Holland last weekend. Wow. Um, so some of my time, when I'm allowed to and when I can get away, goes in terms of supporting her in her support and and keeping it all going and holding it together. And you know, it's great when you can support your kids and that sort of thing. Very nice retirement, so-called retirement. <laughs> <laughs> too young, too young for that, really. Absolutely. Well, classiccarinformer.com, that is a source to go when you're looking for anything for a pre-1980 car. Now, here's a very introspective question for you, Tim. If Tim was an automobile, what would he be and why? Oh, it's probably not necessarily how others see me, but I would, um, I would probably be your 8-liter Bentley Tourer. Ooh. Uh, solid, reliable, dependable, probably slightly understated, probably a bit loud. Um, 
something that gets the job done and gets you there in, uh, you know, in, in, in with reliability. There you go. Very nicely said. I think you're the first one of those on the show, too. So that's pretty cool. Well, Tim, up next is the last lap. But before we put the pedal to the metal, let's say thank you to today's Cars Yeah sponsors. What's every automotive enthusiast dream? To design and build that perfect garage. My friends at Metron Garage are a group of creative talents who've combined their passion for cars with their careers in architecture. Their service includes unique garage design and state-of-the-art fabrication. They will create the coolest custom garage for you and your vehicles. Metron Garage's system features fully engineered commercial-grade material and structural framing that's stronger than traditional construction. Their designs are pre-engineered to meet your building codes for fast, bolt-together construction. With over 25 years of experience, you'll see a 3D rendering to visualize your custom garage, and the final structure will fulfill all your storage needs. Contact Metron Garage today and begin realizing your dream garage. Go to metrongarage.com. That's metrongarage.com. Garage is built for discerning enthusiasts. Where it's not just a garage, it's where your dream garage comes true. Hey, Cars Yeah, I'm a huge fan of Covercraft. I've protected my vehicles with their products for decades. Want to keep your vehicle's interior looking new? It's easy with Covercraft seat covers. They'll protect your seats from the daily abuse of pets, children, weekend adventures, and even those everyday spills. It's a fast, easy, and inexpensive way to keep your vehicle looking new. All Covercraft seat covers are easy-on, easy-off design that are machine washable. You can choose from many fabric options, colors, and accessories all designed and carefully sewn for your special vehicles. Their seat gloves are semi-custom fit for cars and trucks, and their seat savers, a favorite of mine, are custom-tailored to fit your seats like a glove. Work truck seat covers are tough, durable, denim-weight fabric. It's like putting a pair of rugged jeans on your truck's seats. Want to stay warm? Covercraft also offers seat heaters. Covercraft is the right choice. Learn more today at Covercraft.com and tell them Mark a Cars Yeah sent you. That's Covercraft.com. Okay, Tim, we're back and we're entering the last lap. You've been on plenty of racetracks over the last 40 years. You know what that means. The white flag's out. Time to put our foot into it. And I'm going to fire off a series of questions and ask you to give our listeners some very quick blips of the throttle answers. So here we go. What's the best automotive advice or racing advice you've ever received? Oh, two, really. One great guy called Patrick Lindsay, who's no longer with us, who I used to race with 30, 40 years ago. And um, in the sort of racing we do, there are there, you know, there are very, very rapid closing speeds between the quick cars and the slow ones. And mm. Patrick said to me years ago, he said, he said, remember, lad, he said, unless they've actually put their hand up and waved you through, you need to reckon they haven't seen you and they're determined to kill you. Uh, <laughs> yes, I understand that. I think the other great bit of advice, uh, and not enough of us spend enough time doing it, is take the time to read the rule book and understand it. <laughs> yeah, well, we're men. We don't need no stinking instructions, right? <laughs> uh, now, could you share one of your personal habits you believe has contributed to your success over the years? Um, yeah, taking the time to research things for yourself and not necessarily, and yeah, whilst you need to listen to what everybody's saying, you need to go and work things out for yourself and work out whether you think it makes sense or not. I've been doing things with my cars where, you know, where people go, oh, it'll never work. 
and it works quite happily. Thank you very much indeed. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. So, yeah, take the time to research stuff for yourself and form your own decisions. Well, I wish more people would do that on social media, you know, instead of just yeah. grabbing someone's silly meme and thinking that's the truth. Now, there's a lot of great resources out there, and obviously this resource that you've built, Classic Car Informer, is one of those. But is there another great resource you'd like to sh share with our listeners? To be honest, I, in that respect, I'm a bit old-fashioned. There are, you know, there are just so many really, really, really good books out there. If you want to sit and go and learn, and you know, they don't have to be the up-to-date books. There are some, there are some great books from years gone by that are stuffed full of useful information. So, yeah, I, I, I suppose a, the good trip every now and then onto Amazon and places, and just find yourself something. Particularly if you're going on holiday and wanting to sit under an umbrella, find yourself something really inspiring to read or something that you can really. Learn from. Now, is there a book that you'd like to refer to our listeners that you've enjoyed lately? Yeah, one I I've um, one I read while I was away on holiday a couple of weeks ago, written by the Honourable Mrs. Victor Bruce, called Nine Lives Plus, and she's the most amazing character. She held held the record for twenty four hour non stop driving. She then did did the record for non stop boating. She I mean when she did the driving one it was in a Bentley round the uh, round the French equivalent of the Brooklyn's track, their bank mm -hmm. track Maulery. Mm. She used to do these long distance rallies in the early days. Um she set off in the early 1930s to, to drive the furthest north anybody had ever done. And then when she got done with all the driving stuff, she decided to learn to fly. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and promptly, within a week of learning to fly, basically flew around the world. You know, got somebody to teach her how to navigate and flew in solo around the world in this little plane all the way down uh, across the north of India, across to Japan, shipped the car across the Pacific, then flew it all across Australia and then shipped it back across the Atlantic. Just such an incredible pioneering woman. Wow. She then started up a, a small light freight business with a fleet of planes doing early release newspapers going all over Europe and uh, actually pioneered in-flight refueling from one aeroplane to the other in the UK around the, around the time of the Second World War, where literally, yes. I mean, it was a, a, funnel, a funnel and a hose and somebody with large cans pouring. It and it was going <laughs> I mean, God, health and safety people would have a, you know, they, yeah, would, they would just be up in arms if you saw anything like that going on these days. But wow. yeah, a truly inspirational woman. Uh, unbelievable. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, sounds a, like a fantastic book. I'll remind our listeners there's a great place on the Cars yeah website called Guest Recommended Books, where I'll put this book and all the past uh, 881 other guests here on the show. It's a nice resource if you love books, which we do love here at Cars yeah. Mark, I'll give you one other absolutely brilliant book. Yes. And that is Motor Racing by Sammy Davis. Mm. And that was Sammy was a motoring journalist and he wrote the book in the mid 30s from recollection when he was racing at Brooklands and things. But what is astounding when you read this, it gives you a real perception of uh, one, what the what the attitude was to mortality in those days, because generally if you were having a bad motor racing accident, then you didn't survive it. So one, it's the attitude to mortality. But the other thing that really struck me was just how clever they had become with all their pit work and pit signaling and things like that. They were far, far, far more advanced than anything you'd give them credit for. Wow. And if you look at systems like um, Bentley, if you came in with, with the competition racing Bentleys for Le Mans and things, when you came in 
to the pits. When you opened the oil filler, which was protruded through the bonnet, mm -hmm. it opened like a like a, a, a wastegate on the side of the sump, like a weir. You then poured in what you knew was more oil than you needed. The excess would then come out the hole in the side in this side of the engine. And then when you dip the clutch to put it in gear and leave, it shut flat, cut the thing off. <laughs> cool. It was so efficient. Yeah. It was absolutely brilliant. Ah, they were, they were very, very clever in those days. Ah, uh, yeah, obviously. Now, if I could arrange for you to have a drink with anyone in the automotive industry or field, living or deceased, who would that be? Um, I think actually, Nuvolari would be the guy I'd really want to meet. I mean, he was such an exceptional and versatile driver. Mm -hmm. Again, it would just be such a tremendous learning experience just to, to talk to a guy like that. I think so. That would be a fun evening for sure. Well, Tim, we're up to the checkered flag, and this last question could be a bit of a doozy. I'm going to uh, cut down your collection to one exceptional collector car. That's a tough deal to do for you, I know, but <laughs> I'm going to buy it, so money's no problem today. What would that car be and why? Um, this reminds reminds me of, of an interview with a, one of the top UK collectors. And uh, and uh, and the, the interviewer said to him, so, and I won't mention his name, so, you know, if, if money was no object, you know, you know what's, what's, the, what's the motorbike that you would buy? And he said, well, if money is no object, I've already got it. Ah, yes. Well, <laughs> um, those are the lucky from, few. <laughs> from my point of view, I, yeah, I, the one car... The one car that I absolutely love, and I would it would be the last of all my collector's cars I would ever part with, is my racing Bentley, the three-liter Bentley with the eight-liter engine. You can use it on the road. It is blisteringly fast. It is just such unadulterated fun. But I suppose it's only right that one should exclude what you've already got. If I was starting and having, and if it, I was just given a blank check and told you can go and buy one car, mm -hmm. what would it be? And it, and it wasn't going to be that. It would be a Monza Alpha. Ooh. No question. Ah, uh, yes. Uh, well, what is it? Why do I even ask the question? Because anyone <laughs> who knows the car would know the answer. But what is it about that Monza Alpha that you love so much? Oh, they are they are small, light, nimble, talky, powerful. They are beautiful to look at. They are just you know, in terms of two seaters, the absolute best all rounder pre war car that you can do anything with. Uh. And and they are you know properly set up. They're dead reliable as well. They're just the mo one of the most fantastic bits of kit you could ever wish for. Fantastic bits of kit. I just love your language over there on the other side of this pond that we, that separates <laughs> us. <laughs> Very descriptive. Yes. Uh, Monza Alpha. What a beautiful car. I mean, it just combines all the different aspects of early motor racing and style and everything about it wow what a great car you're the only one who's ever chosen that car too which is very interesting makes you very unique but we knew that going into this so i like that well tim you have taken us on an awesome ride today i knew you would and i've really enjoyed your stories and i've enjoyed sharing you with the cars yeah audience as well could you give us a little parting piece of wisdom or guidance before you rip off down the track in that monza alpha oh i think it's um on the business front, I, I think it would be, if you're going to do anything in business, always stick to something where you know a reasonable part of the equation. Make sure you either know it because you know, you've been there as a customer sourcing it before now or, or, or similar. Years ago, back in, back in the, uh, back in the seventies, our business, we bought, 
we bought another business and part of it was a, a generator manufacturing business that made very clever generators that, you know, if the mains went down, it automatically started and phased in automatically. And we didn't know the first bloody thing about generators. And sure enough, you know, within six months, it was losing money hand over fist. Um, so it's time to get rid of it. So always stick, you know, stick to something where you at least know part of the equation. I think that way, that way you've got a half decent chance. Absolutely. And if you're passionate about it, even better. What's the best way for our listeners to learn more about ClassicCarInformer.com? I think I might have just answered that question. <laughs> oh, just just go on there and give it a go. It's pretty intuitive. I mean, when you, you know, it splits into all the main areas that you want to go, you want to go into for finding, be it, be it looking for dealers or parts or specialist services or clubs or things like that. Um, but just go in there and have a go. And the, the great thing with it is one one the ability to take a pin and stick it. Any anywhere in the globe and say, right, show me results near here. And two, the filtering system where you're, you know, for me, having just bought an Austin Healy, I can go in there and search and you do search and say, right, filter by Austin Healy, filter by you know, model. So the filtering system on the searches is what really gives the, gives the system its edge. Absolutely brilliant. Well, listeners, check out this website, classiccarinformer.com. I would encourage you to pour yourself a tall drink before you do because you're going to be there for a while because it's so much fun. You're going to find so many cool things. And you can find everything that Tim has shared with us today on his Cars yeah! show notes page. Just go to carsyeah.com, type in Tim or Tim Llewellyn. I'll spell his last name, L-L-E-W-E-L-L-Y-N. And that page will pop up with links. Check it out. If you're into old cars, you're looking for anything pre-1980, you're going to have a lot of fun here at Classic Car Informer. And Tim, this has been fun. I appreciate you calling in. I guess it's your evening, my morning here since we're talking uh, on Skype. But uh, thank you for calling in from the UK. And I want to thank you for being so generous today with your time and expertise and making this a delightful talk. Until you and I talk again, I'll see you down the road. Thanks, Mark. It's been an honor and a tremendous pleasure. Ah, the pleasure is all mine. If you own collector cars and still have a little bit of money left over, congratulations. You're ahead of most people, but what should you do with the money you don't spend on cars? Talk to Chris Kimball, Certified Financial Planner Practitioner. For over 20 years, he's been helping people just like you and me with their financial planning and investments. And he's a car guy, too. Call 253-722-PLAN. Or you can view his website at www.chrisvkimble.com. Make sure your investments are running on all eight cylinders, or 12, or 16. Securities through Money Concepts Capital Corp. Member, Finra Sipic. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah! Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah!